And so may God bless ESL. So add that to your daily prayer list and pray for Brother Jeff. And a little later, he will join the other board members, the newly elected and the current board members. And we're going to have a special prayer for them today after our business meeting from last uh, week. And so we'll look forward to that. Today is communion, and uh, we'll be having prayer for the board members, and then we will have the worship team coming about the same time, and uh, we'll do our communion uh, time together. So, I would like to take you, uh, take you to the Gospel of Luke today, and I want to talk to you on a subject of great faith. There's an individual in chapter 7 who is a centurion, and I want to talk to you a little bit about him. But let's talk about Warden for a while. Thank God for the vision uh, that your pastor had, that Jeff had, a burden for ESL. And look, at only a year later, look at how many lives have been touched and how many will be touched through the ripple effect. Isn't that great? And uh, I understood this week that you were born as a church in 1954. Well, that's pretty special. That's the year I was born. I was born in Hurricane Hazel. Were you born in Hurricane Hazel? <laughs> But this church uh, began as a congregation of immigrated German-speaking people, and they officially started as a congregation in 1954, and uh, held for a few months in Stone Church basement, if you know where Stone Church is in downtown Toronto. And then the next year, the congregation moved to uh, Evangel Temple, which of course was at that time downtown Toronto as well, until they lost their building through a fire a few years, decades ago. Well, it wasn't long, two years, 1956, that they bought a building, and it was on 804 Broadview Avenue in 1956, and uh, they grew, they began to do um, primarily German-speaking services at that time, and there's a lot more history, of course, but Sunday school choir, youth ministries were developed, and in 1982, you built this building, and we praise God for this building. What a beautiful location. What a wonderful vision that the leaders had at that time to be able to put a church on such a busy part of Toronto where people go by. And we pray that as they go by and they look at the church, that the Holy Spirit will quicken their hearts and they will have a desire to come and find out what's going on in there and find some wonderful people like you. So what began 68 years ago was of God. If it wasn't of God, it would not be here today, I'll tell you right now. If this was just some kind of a community social club, it would not be here today. The doors would have closed 68 years ago. People prayed, people acted, people's lives were changed by God, and Warden was and is a place where people can find God today. Amen? <laughs> we already heard it just through Brother Jeff. Today we're going to be honoring our newly elected leaders and other board members by praying for them. And so we'll be having the staff that are here come and also those that are part of the prayer team to come and lay hands on them and we'll all stand and pray for them that God will bless them and anoint them and give them vision along with their new, your new pastor who will be starting and his first Sunday will be June 11th and Pastor Peter and Carrie Ann will be here. But we just want to pray that God will bless them together as a team. Amen? It's not a one-man show here. It's a team. And so that's what we want to pray for. So this morning's message, without any exaggeration, is really a key 
a key to continuing to be the church that God intended, that the early leaders intended, that, and I believe all of us in our hearts want to see happen. Where God, a place where God answers prayer, a God, place where lives are changed, and a place where God is present. Thank God for the worship team, the, the wonderful songs that Pastor, or Brother Joel, I keep doing this, Joel left, led us in today, that we were just so in a sense of the presence of the Lord. So we thank God for that. And that's what we want is a place where God is present. So let's look at this gospel story and see what key there is in this gospel story. Why don't you stand with me as we look at the screen and we'll read together in unison. Great faith. Let's read together. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and has built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When Jesus was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. May God bless his word. Amen. Thank you. It's nothing like reading the word of God aloud and together. Two key verses in this particular passage that Luke records a story of. And one is, uh, I am also a man under authority. That's a key verse. And the second one is, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And this man is not a Jew, by the way. He's a Gentile. In the first verse of chapter 7, what we see is a geographic change taking place. Jesus has has been preaching and teaching the Sermon on the Mount He changes his location. Probably he was on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee and just climbed that hill and went on to the village just north of that called Capernaum. And there in Capernaum is where Jesus begins this story. The centurion comes to him. By this time, in the Sermon on the Mount and things that Jesus had said that are recorded in the Bible, by this time... Jesus has already set forth his missionary program. In chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, you can read some of the things. He outlined the parameters of his mission. He said, there will be recovery of sight to the blind. There will be the setting free of the prisoners. There will be release for those that are oppressed. And then he pointed out to the Jewish people that when Elijah was was ministering, It was in the home of a lady who was a Gentile. 
where he found hospitality. And when Elisha, his successor, came along, there was a person in need of healing, and it was a foreigner, Naaman, from the Syrian army that he healed. And he just didn't throw those things out. But if you're a Jewish audience and you think, well, you know you're the chosen people, and many of you that are following Jesus believe he is the Messiah, and the one who's going to set things up, and all of a sudden he starts talking about these heroic Gentile people, you might begin to scratch your head. But he's, Jesus is trying to get the message to them that he came to be the Savior of the whole world. So he's already done all of this. So it says in verse number 1 that he said this in the saying or the hearing of all of the people. So everybody has heard the Sermon on the Mount. Come to verse 2. And as I've already mentioned, he comes to Capernaum. Capernaum was Jesus' home while he was ministering. He did not live in Nazareth, where he was born and raised. He lived in Capernaum. And in Capernaum, it became the locus of his ministry, his headquarters, so to speak. When I visited Capernaum a few years ago now, they had recently, in the 20th century at that time, in the early 90s, they had already discovered the remains through excavation, the remains of a military garrison that was just outside the village of Capernaum, probably the, gar- the, the, the military headquarters of this man who's in the story that we're reading today. In these early stages of Jesus' ministry, Matthew and Mark both record this story. They record the healing of this Gentile servant of a Gentile centurion. They also both record the promise that the Gentiles are going to be included in the kingdom of heaven. And thirdly, that the nation of Israel is warned in those first few things that Jesus says that they're going to be excluded if they do not follow God's program for redemption of the whole world. That is why the Jewish people were brought into the world to show all the nations of the goodness of God because he was going to be so good to them. Main characters in our story, we've read... Jesus, at that time, he's known as a miracle worker, a a savior with a small s, they would have thought, a prophet. There's this centurion who's a well-respected Gentile officer. There are two groups. There's elders from the Jewish synagogue, and then there are the friends of the centurion, two different delegations. And then, of course, someone we never meet is this critically ill slave who is back home at the centurion's place. And so when we read this story, we have to read it through Eastern eyes. (laughs) We have to read it through Middle Eastern eyes, I should say, and the first century eyes, life, what it was like in the Roman Empire. So throughout the New Testament, we'll come into contact from time to time with these people called centurions. We come into other officers from the Roman army. We read about legions and bands and other officers, captains, centurions, and soldiers. Josephus, the historian, provides us an idea of the chain of command. And so at the top would be the generals, the hegemon, and then the colonels, the kiliarch. And then came the centurions, the captains, so to speak, the decurions, the sergeants, and then the soldiers or privates. And over all of them was the emperor. He was the chief of all of these armies. In the New Testament alone, we come into to contact with seven different, seven different centurions. And we find them very sympathetic with the Jewish religion. Not like the, 
the new message that Jesus is coming with, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they get pretty upset with him. When people flock to hear John the Baptist, the Roman centurions and soldiers are sympathetic with his message. The religious leaders say, who would you go out in the desert to hear, see and hear this wild man or, or whatever else they would say and eventually lost, took his head. There's a remarkable similarity in all of these centurions as we read the New Testament, and that is that they are men of the finest character. One reason that they are of such fine character is that they didn't come to this position by accident. They came to it through promotion because they were people that were under discipline and people that were under authority. When Polybius is writing his history, Polybius has six books or so, and in the sixth book, part 24, he talks about these centurions. Uniformly, he gives them praise, all the historians. They're given praise as they speak of them. In this fourth or sixth book, part 24, Polybius says they were chosen because of their merit. They were chosen because of their daring courage. They were chosen because of their wise decision-making, their loyalty, and their strength of mind. This was a common element. They were the backbone of the Roman army, these centurions. And they are identified in those days by their special helmets, more ornate, I suppose, than most of the other soldiers. They had a short staff made of wood from the vine. Their staff was a symbol of rank, and they were promoted through the ranks based on their dedication and their courage. And these were veteran soldiers, and they commanded a 100 men, each one of them. And they were part of a legion, which was 6,000, so there would be six hundred or 60 of these centurions in a legion, and this particular man would have been one of them. They commanded a hundred men. They were Gentiles. They were Roman citizens. And the accounts of Matthew and Luke reveal some arresting things about this particular one. I want you to just think about what is said of him in this passage. The first thing that is said, these three opinions, is the opinion of the Jewish leaders and the elders of the synagogue. They said to Jesus, this man deserves to have you come under his roof. Now, that's not what he told them to say, but that's what they said of him. He sent the Jewish people, the leaders of the synagogue, to talk to Jesus because they were Jews, and Jesus is a Jew. And they said, they brought a message to Jesus. I don't think they brought the same message to Jesus. They just said, you know, this guy's really important. He built our synagogue. Imagine that. This man provided the funds and uh, I suppose the uh, ability to be able to have this synagogue built, the permission is what the word is looking for. And so he's a Gentile, and the Hebrews say he has built us this synagogue. There was something in that Hebrew religion that attracted him, so much so that he emptied his wallet, or at least shared his wallet with them and uh, helped them. The second opinion, that's the opinion of the Jewish people of this Gentile centurion. He's worthy, Jesus, to have you come under his roof. Then about what about his opinion of himself? What does he say? I am not worthy to have you come under my house, come into my house, come under my roof. So he has his own opinion. The same word as word. He basically said, I'm inadequate. My house is not good enough for a Jew, especially a Jewish leader. He realized that the in that culture, 
That would, not, that would be a taboo for him to do that. So he uses the same word. And finally, the most important opinion of all is not what they think of him, the Jewish people, or what he thinks of himself. But what did Jesus say of him? Jesus said, you know what? I have never seen anyone with this kind of faith in all Israel. Well, isn't that quite a compliment or quite a put down, whatever, however you want to take it. And Jesus is not exaggerating. A couple of times you'll see a hyperbole, hyperbole, exaggeration for effect. This is not one of those. He meant it. This man has a special kind of faith. And this special kind of faith, I believe, is the kind of faith that will cause Warden to continue to, to grow, continue to fulfill the Great Commission. And we'll look at that as we go along. A careful reading of this with Matthew and Luke, careful, you've got to read it carefully because you don't realize it on a casual reading. But there are two different delegations. The first one that he sends are the Jewish elders. And they are from the local synagogue, and they're sent to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they say, you know, this man, you need to come under his roof. So Jesus makes his way. And then when he, I suppose, looks out the window, he says, whoa, hold it, hold it, hold it, you know. I, this, Jesus can't come under my roof, so he sends his servants, a, a group of his friends, I should say, and they stop. Jesus say, no, 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 don't come into the house. So there's these two delegations, and the story kind of unfolds. And when these friends come to Jesus, in verse 8, some important things are said. He, they quote this centurion, and he says, I have soldiers under me. I say to this one, go when he goes. Does that one come and he comes? I tell this one, do this, and he does it. He prefaces this with, I also am a man under authority. I also am a man under authority. And we'll come back to that as we go along. Over this man were superior officers. He was a captain. So there was a colonel, and there was a general, and then there was, of course, the emperor. They were all over him in authority. And that man, as a centurion, was completely committed to the cause and the will of the Roman state. That was his commitment. The Roman soldier was not permitted to say that he had a will of his own. He was not committed uh, or permitted to say it's his time. It was the emperor's time. His clothes, his uniform, even the food that he ate were given to him and directed from the, the uh, emperor and the army. His headquarters would be in Caesarea, and on a map, if you can imagine, it's near Tel Aviv, and uh, it's by itself on, near, near the coast of the Mediterranean, but Rome is quite a ways away. And that man may never see the emperor face to face. He may never see him in his lifetime, but he was committed to the emperor and to the cause of the Roman state. That was what he did, and that's who he was. That's how he became a centurion. Therefore, he was. He, he said, uh, perhaps, as he's never seen these, he's never seen this emperor. He may never see him, but every march he took, every action he performed, he did under the authority of the Roman emperor. In effect, he was saying, submission to authority is what has fitted me for my work. That's basically what he's saying. Therefore, he was able to say to a hundred soldiers that were under him that he exercised authority over. Go! And you know what? The soldier went. 
And then he said, come, and the soldier came, and and the soldier did whatever he asked them to do. No questions were asked by the sergeants or the soldiers. His 100 men yielded him the same obedience he yielded to the emperor. There's two principles that merged into this man's life at this point. He was under authority, therefore he was in authority. That's the key. We need to ask ourselves, are we under God's authority in all the areas of our life that he's made us aware of? Are we under authority? If we are, then when we pray, we are in authority. Amen? That's the key, one of the keys to this passage of Scripture. The secret of his authority over his soldiers was his submission to the authority that was over him, in this case, the emperor Herod Antipas. I came across this a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember where I came across it, but I took the quote. And it says, No man can wield the scepter who has not first kissed the scepter. Isn't that a great quote? Jesus said, I have not found such great faith, not even in all Israel. There's something to note about this centurion. It's recorded, first of all, that Jesus marveled or was astonished at his faith. There's only two places that Jesus marvels or is astonished. That Greek word is found about Jesus' attitude or response. And one is here, his response is astonished at this man's faith. (laughs) Look at the faith that he has. Secondly, he was astonished at the lack of faith in his hometown of Nazareth. The only two places that he marveled in the old King James language. It's important to understand the basis of his faith that is revealed in the very words he used in his appeal to Christ, on the basis of facts concerning himself, he said, I also, you know, tell Jesus, I also am a person who's under authority. Key word, some, trans, some versions leave it out, but most insert it because it's definitely inferred in this particular passage. That little word is of supreme importance to help us understand exactly what he says to Jesus and what Jesus says about him. He recognized that Jesus had to be somebody who was under authority. So in his mind, he wouldn't be able to do all these miracles unless he was under authority. That was his thinking. He discovered that somehow he and Jesus were living under the exact same philosophy of life. He was under authority Therefore, he could say this, and they would do it, etc. He realized that when Jesus spoke, people were healed. He touched, people were healed. So Jesus, in his mind, had to be under authority. So, you know, he said, this is my understanding of who Jesus is. You're under authority, therefore you are in authority, and so you can deal with this disease and this troubling pain that my, my uh, servant is in. Jesus mentions that the centurion recognized Jesus as a savior, a healer. There were healers with a small age that were often regarded as saviors even in the Roman culture. And he realized uh, that as a Gentile centurion, he ought not to assume that this healer, savior, would have immediate access to Jesus. So he sent a Jewish delegation to him. You see, he realized that if, as a Jew, he couldn't come into 
a Gentile's home because it would make him ceremonially unclean in that culture. He would not be so presumptuous to contact Jesus directly, but he only did it through those Jewish elders. And the rationale of the Jewish leaders was, well, we just need to convince Jesus that this man is worthy. (laughs) He built our synagogue, and so I know Jesus would have seen through their duplicity. He, He had that kind of insight that they were coming and not exactly representing him. But he went anyway. Isn't that amazing, the grace of God? Jesus went anyway. And uh, this man is genuinely concerned that Jesus doesn't defile himself. So when he sees Jesus coming with these Jewish uh, leaders, elders of the synagogue, he immediately says, whoa, 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 send my friends. Tell them, don't come in my house. His words focus on his understanding and his recognition of Jesus' authority and the nation that he represented. And so all authority in the army was vested in this emperor. The centurion's words were always heeded because he spoke with the authority of the emperor. So he stops Jesus and he says to Jesus, you just have to say the word. Isn't that great? Just say the word. You're in charge. You don't have to come into my house because all I have to do is say to my sergeant, you go tell that private to do this and he does it. So why would you trouble yourself? Why, why contaminate yourself by coming here? And so now you understand, why did Jesus say it was such great faith? Because this man did something that hadn't been done before. Up until this point, Jesus had never healed at a distance. He did later. Jairus' daughter is healed at a distance, right? But not yet. It hasn't happened. This man has no testimony that we know of that this is how Jesus can work. He just believes in this principle that if Jesus is doing these things, he must be an authority to God the Father, and therefore, just say the word. That's the way it works in the Roman army. So that's the way it should work with the great authority, the God that the Jewish people are talking about, who is the creator of the whole world. That's kind of what he's thinking. I think of Psalm 107, verse 20. I doubt the centurion knew this, but... It says he sent his word and he healed them. <laughs> By now, Jesus had already healed a person who was paralyzed. So maybe he heard about that and said, yes, he can, he can heal people that are paralyzed. It says in the scripture in Matthew's account that this man is in great agony. So if he's paralyzed and he's in great agony, those of you that have back problems can only imagine before the days of surgeons and understanding of the back problems, the agony that this man could be in. Unbelievable. What's amazing is a slave in those days for a Roman leader would be just like a piece of furniture. I mean, in that culture, they treated their wives as if they were a piece of furniture, could divorce them for burning the toast in the morning, just get another way. That was the culture. Here's this man of such quality that he cares about a servant. He could get another servant anytime he wanted. He gets paid 20 times as much as a soldier. So he had the money and the means to do it. I mean, he built the synagogue. But this man did not operate in that way. So we come to the, the things that I want to say in conclusion. There is this great faith's confidence. The centurion knew Jesus. He knew his reputation. And that's all it took to persuade him. Isn't that wonderful? 
Do you know Jesus? Do you know what the Bible says about Jesus? All authority is in Jesus, amen? We just need to have that kind of simple faith <laughs> that's kind of tangible faith that just says, yes, I believe because I believe Jesus, so he can do anything. The secondly, second thing is great faith in God's word. Just say the word. God's already said a lot of things, a lot of words to us. And so some of you might be here today and you're in need. God says, I will supply all your need according to my riches. Hallelujah. Have faith in God's word. Some of you are in need of healing. And we'll pray at the end of the service for those that might need to be healed. Isaiah chapter 53, repeated by Peter in his epistle. It says, by your stripes, you have been healed. Are you in time of trouble? The word of God says, in a time of trouble, I will call upon me and I will deliver you. Hallelujah. He sent his word. Are you afraid? A few weeks ago, I preached about the strong tower. Amen. Run to it. You're going to be safe. Hallelujah. And then there's those that may be lonely. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Are you facing an impossible situation? Jeremiah the prophet said, nothing is impossible for God. His arm is not too short that it cannot reach out and touch this situation. So great faith in him, great faith in his word. And finally, great faith not in circumstances. Never say it can't be done because God hasn't done it that way before. Amen. Let's forget that whole idea. Never say it. Oh, I've had a few moments in my ministry where it hadn't been done before, and there were lots of good reasons, but for some reason, it's just my, it's who I am. I don't give any credit to myself, but whenever somebody says, that's never been done before, you can't, and I see that the possibility is great, many people can get helped through this, is there something inside me that says, if God gives me the okay, I'm going to make sure that we see this happen. <laughs> and I don't want to bore you with some of my personal examples today. So don't say it can't be done because it's never been done before. The last time I heard, the Red Sea was only dried once, right? Noah's Ark was only built once. One giant was killed by a shepherd's stone, as far as I know. I haven't heard of it yet. Once the walls of Jericho fell down. Once the water was turned into wine, once God sent his son to become a man, and once God became a man, and once, only once did Jesus heal a centurion's servant from a distance. Just because it did, don't put your, your, your uh, faith in circumstances, put your faith in the God of the universe, the God who is able to do all things, Amen. I kind of have a personal motto for ministry, and I, I picked it up at a, uh, I think it was Bradford Greenhouse, and it simply says, do not follow the path where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Isn't that great? When I went to Bible college, everybody wanted to go to be in the big churches in Peterborough at that time, or some of the other ones close by, the, the prison in Mil Millbrook. And I just looked at the map and I said, well, there's this little church in Omimi. Nobody's talking about that. And the pastor must have at least 10 people in church. I think I'll go and help him out. So I did. 
I didn't regret it. I, I just loved it. And so, why did I say that? Are we getting to my point? Oh, yes. One summer, everybody's trying to get a job between years in Bible college at the churches, you know, get some minister experience and, you know, get a job here, get a job there. And I just got in my car and I started driving and ended in Long Lac, Ontario with seven jobs right away and got enough money to pay for the third year tuition, not just the second year that I was going into. Why follow a path? <laughs> Make your own path, amen? Capuscasing. No, we've never had a church in Capuscasing for very long. It's always, it's just never lasted. Today we have a church in Capuscasing. My wife and I went there and with her working and God inspiring me through other people, I decided with God's help, he was going to provide for us. And so for three years without a salary, we lived there. And under God's blessing, we established a church that's there today, vibrant and healthy and happy. Hallelujah. Why do you want to follow a path? Make your own path, amen? And if you have the kind of faith that this man does, this centurion, then you're going to be able to do great things for God. I'm going to invite the board members, the former board members. Brother Peter, you can come and help pray. And uh, just come and stand here and face me. And invite the worship team just to make their way as well to the front. I believe God wants Warden to be here in 2091, 68 years from now, don't you? Amen. We know God wants Warden to not to just simply mark time. Amen. For the next 68 years, all the board members that are here just come forward. And now those that are staff, if you maybe the board members could face me for this part, and then. The prayer team and others, uh, staff can come and just pray with them. You know, if, guys, girl, well, she's coming eventually. Jackie will be here. You know, uh, God wants Warden to be here in 68 years. Amen. You've had a good 68 years of wonderful pastors, wonderful board members like you. We thank God for every one of you. Thank God for your willingness to serve. Amen. And... Uh, Brother Paul, what are you doing? You're a board member. Get up here. And where's Jeff? The new ones. Got to teach them. <laughs> Amen. And Jackie's on a delay back there because of the online. She'll be here. But God wants to bless Warden. He has blessed Warden. Amen. But God wants Warden to be a habitation of God's Spirit for the next 70 years and, or until Jesus comes. Amen. God wants to use this present group of believers here that are part of Warden Full Gospel Assembly, especially its leaders. He wants them to submit under the Lordship and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? When we are submitted to the Lord and we're under His authority, you know what? You get together as a board and you're with Pastor Peter thinking of some challenging things and you pray together, if you are submitted to the Lord and you say, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, can expect it. If, if we are under authority, then we're in authority, amen? And we're in authority. Wow. Imagine the things that God can do, not just through the board, but through each and every one of us that are here. I know that God can use the present leadership of this church to lead the greatest days 
that Warden has ever seen. So as we commit ourselves to the Lord, I just want to say the key to successful, another successful 68 years of ministry for Warden. Number one, today we just search our hearts. I do this every time I read this passage and are reminded I got to search my own heart. Am I submitted to the Lord in the areas of my life? So I search my heart. I get to know the Word of God. This is the most important book in the world. I get to know it. And if the word has been spoken, then I better get to know it because I'm going to be praying in Jesus' name and I'm going to have authority. I better know that when I pray, pray, I'm praying according to what's written here. And then I don't give up or give in. And any present difficult or impossible situation, some of you made it all the way through COVID. God bless you, all of you that were on the board at that time, how difficult that must have been. God wants to bless you. And if Warden, as a local church, comes under the authority of our Emperor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the head of the living, the church of the living God, then I believe God will be glorified. Amen. A skeptical world is going to sit up and take note. The Holy Spirit will work mightily through you. Hallelujah. As you get together, it won't be just business as usual. The Holy Spirit will come and bless you. Prayers will be answered. Direction will be given. Fresh vision with you and Pastor Peter. The Holy Spirit will be there working mightily among you. So the key to a future blessing for this church is that we all need to be living under the authority of God like this centurion. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray for the board members, those that have come forward, just to lay a hand on their shoulder. Others might want to just join us as we pray for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need to be able to say, I am under authority, therefore I am in authority. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray for those that are leaders. First of all, we thank you for the faithfulness of the board members that have served here not just in the last three years, but for all the years before, the 68 years. We thank you for all those leaders. We thank you for these that have gathered here, these leaders. Sister Jackie and these men, may they together have their hearts knit together with Pastor Peter and the vision that God has for the future in Scarborough and in Warden. So bless them. I thank you for them. Bless their families. Lord, they've made a commitment to be out few more nights than the average person and we just pray that you'll bless their families that you'll keep them we pray god that you will raise up people in this congregation to remember to pray for them on a daily basis for god they are servants of the lord and we think of the new testament in the book of acts the apostles were so busy they needed some to help do some administration but God, as we read through the book of Acts, we find out that these men who were given this job of administering and helping the leader, the pastors and the apostles, Lord, these men went out and did miracles, that they became evangelists. So there's no second place. These are places of authority. So I pray for them right now. I ask you, God, to fill them with your Holy Spirit. I ask you, God, to touch their lives. I ask you, God, to use them. Lord, I pray that you'll just make this... Lord and Pastor Peter, a great unity, Lord, 
And Lord, a team that will flow to, from the staff and to, to the uh, workers in the uh, church and other departments. And Lord, to the whole congregation. So we thank you for everyone here that considers this their home church. Now bless them and help us all, Lord, to fall in line, to be under authority so that we may be in authority in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you. God bless you. Let's keep praying for them. Amen.